You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Northern moor coyotes, where the coyotes that lived in California are smaller. What can they teach us? In general, coyotes are just very flexible. So they have a lot more varied diet than your average wolf. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. I cannot tell you how that used to send shivers. It still does a little bit, but that sends shivers down my spine, especially when I was a kid. Oh, it used to I, scare the snot out of me. I, see, Chris, I'm the opposite. That's like music to my ears. I feel like I want to go join them. Well, I've always just been so fascinated by their vocalizations. It's like music. Well, okay. So when I was back in California for a little while, I did hear coyotes and then I was excited. And this was, you know, as an adult, but as a kid in your bedroom late at night, right outside your window, because they're somewhere on the hill where I used to live, it, it I, I mean, it, it does them to disservice, but God, that, that howling. Now I understand it and I love it, especially studying these, these animals. Coyotes are just Holy smokes, Angie. I can't believe we waited so long to cover this species. I am in total awe of them. Chris, exactly. This is one of the only species that I've really wished I had two or three weeks to research before doing the podcast. I mean, I just felt like there's not enough time. Every article, every video I came across, I wanted to like read the whole thing cover to cover or watch it from beginning to end. And of course you and I are trying to bring all the really interesting points and science and behaviors. And yes, I probably have like 40 slides. I will try to keep it down and or be concise for all of our listeners. But yeah, I, I, I just felt like I didn't have enough time to prepare because I just wanted to keep reading more. And, and for those of you that have been following us for a while, know that I think it was like last year, I kind of went on a carnivore, like fall, falling in love with them. My husband's always been mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in love mm -hmm. with like predators and their behavior. But me being a hoof, horn, antler, prey type, uh, ungulate girl, I was like, meh. But studying, I think when we did wolves a few years ago and a couple of the other really uh, wild dogs, other just amazing pack hunters and, and other social canids, just blown away by them. And uh, I, yeah, I think that my my reading for fun in the evenings is going to be about coyote behavior and wolf behavior. I just, I fell back in love this week, Chris. They, they have a, a crazy story too. So, you know, growing up with, you know, coyotes in the Americas, it, it's, they have adapted to, to humans and, you know, they live amongst us. I saw one running down the road and I remember my mom going, oh my goodness, a coyote, you know, kind of scared a little bit. And I was like, no, it's so cool. Like, oh yeah, there it is. I saw him yeah. in Chicago. I bounced around there um, many years ago, different apartments in different neighborhoods trying to make my way at when I was a zookeeper and yeah. Oh yeah. We, I saw him in alleys. I saw him in parks. I mean, it was so cool though. Cause it's like, Oh, I'm in the city, but I feel like I'm at home in the woods. And so, I mean, that's the coyote. You and I grew up on the cartoon uh, with Wiley coyote mm -hmm. in road mm -hmm. runner. And yeah, they're just uh, coyotes are crafty, right? Yeah. They're like the great opportunists. They're, they're more than just Wiley. They're like a, 
a shapeshifter, mm-hmm. which is a word John just taught me a few weeks ago. So hopefully I'm using it right. <laughs> um, like a master you know. of adaptation, right? Yes, like can yes, yes. take form and just, I mean, so I, 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 when I first started researching coyotes this week, one of the questions that came to my mind is how are they doing so well? They're not endangered. We're going to talk about how their habitat is actually expanding like big time. So the opposite of almost every other animal creature we've covered on this podcast, the coyote is doing great. They're, they're expanding. They're, and wolves, as Chris will talk about here shortly with an amazing interview he did this past week that will be released uh, in a few days, is talking about wolves and how in North America their numbers are terribly low and they're not thriving the way a coyote is at all. And so I was like, I'm like, why? Why is that? I mean, they're similar, more or less. And after digging through the research, there's definitely some differences between coyote behavior and wolf behavior that may account for why the crafty coyote is flourishing, for lack of better terms, even when people are trying to get rid of them in Mm -hmm. drones. Yeah. No, I know. It's like, uh, we'll get, you know, half a million a year are killed in right. In, That's crazy. In the United States, yeah. That in, in control. And the, and, the, the crafty coyote is like, oh, well, I don't care. And, and, and I'm just going to reproduce more. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Killing no. them does not work. It, it is, it is horrific actually. Well, that, that's a good lead into the interview this week with Martha Handler, who is the president of the Wolf Conservation Center. And again, we kind of give an update on wolves. I mean, we keep coming back to this species because they are contentious in in the United States, maybe a little bit in Canada. But, you know, if if you're not aware, Idaho just passed a law a a few weeks ago where they're going to eradicate most of the wolves in the state. So out of the 1,500 wolves in the state, they want to go and, and slaughter 1,400 of them. So I'll address that in a minute briefly, but that is what we talk about in the interview. We talk about updates on the red wolves, how they're doing, which isn't great. And then we'll also talk about the Mexican gray wolf, which is another endangered wolf species in the southern United States, northern Mexico. So look for that interview. It was a great 50-minute uh, talk. And uh, yeah, I always love uh, having these these conservation enthusiast experts on all the time now really quick i just have to give a shout out to jade thank you jade joined us on patreon this week uh you know we're we're active on instagram and facebook as well so check us out all creatures pod definitely go to the website you know allcreaturespod.com it looks beautiful embedding videos and we have some amazing stuff coming up some amazing interviews that we've been talking about on social media which just I, I mean, one of the interviews I just did the other night, late at night here in New Zealand, I just, my jaw hit the ground talking to, to this person and I cannot wait for those to start rolling out in the next few weeks, but uh, follow us on social media and you'll learn more about it. Yes. And I also want to give a huge shout out to Katie1643 for a glowing review on iTunes. Thank you so much for that, Katie. She says that we keep inspiring her to fight the good fight. And hopefully today's podcast and the subsequent interview that Chris is doing will help you all keep fighting the good fight. Now, jumping back into this, Angie, what what fascinates me about this species, and there's a lot of subspecies, is they do differ in looks because, as you're going to find out, there's some ancient wolf DNA in some northern moor coyotes where the coyotes that lived in California are smaller, you know, less wolf-like. It, it's mm-hmm. crazy. So, you know, but they have a general description. Yeah. Is- for me, just looking at them at a glance, they look like a cross between a fox and a wolf. They have very narrow snouts uh, or noses that's somewhat fox-like, lean bodies that's like fox-like, yellow eyes, but then they have thick fur and bushy tails and and their heads more shaped like a wolf. So, and as far as their coloring goes, as Chris mentioned, their fur can be brown, tan, white, gray. I saw some black ones. It just really depends on where they live. But in general, it's going to be grayish brown, 
to a yellowish gray on the upper parts. And then the throat and the belly are whitish cream, almost yellow color sometimes. The forelegs and the sides of the head and muzzle are going to have highlights of red or like a reddish brown color. And the tail is it's like a bottle brush shaped and it's typically has a black tip. And if you're like me and you're a fan of anything that semi looks like your dog at home, you're just going to love coyotes. They're just beautiful. I mean, they're, it doesn't matter what coat variation pattern they have. They're gorgeous. And so when you put the coyote against your typical pet dog or foxes, what you're going to th- see is basically like a Labrador retriever is going to be about twice the weight of a coyote. Their size is going to fall somewhere between that of a wolf and a fox, right? So they're right there in the middle. And their coat patterns and colors definitely are super distinctive from a fox, which is typically in North America is going to be more like of a reddish brown in color, more solid in color with the white high points. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think the big difference between them and wolves is just is size. Like I was talking to Pip last night about this because we, our dog Arlo, big black lab, who's going to be joining us here in New Zealand. She was like, oh, you know, because we were talking about growing up with coyotes. And I was talking about how scared we were of them because, you know, they, you'll find out they do take small pets, especially cats. And we were always scared of that, of our dogs being snatched by a coyote. And she's like, would they mess with Arlo? I'm like, God, no, Arlo's like twice the size of a coyote's yeah. old black yeah, lab. No yeah, no, but you know, smaller dogs for sure they would go after. But they only, you know, on average, because again, the, the ones up in Canada, Alaska are are bigger. They're at the bigger end of the scale, but still smaller than wolves. You know, they stand 26 inches, you know, 65 centimeters. So that's less than three feet at the shoulder. And the body length of 52 inches or 130 centimeters, so around four feet. And then they have that like long tail. And then when you look at the weights, I mean, they're they're not that big, 35 pounds, you know, or yeah. like 15 kilograms. Right, like a medium-sized dog. Yeah, they're not, mm-hmm. they're not huge. They're not huge. So, you know, the fear that it was just unfounded. I mean, and, and we'll get a little bit into coyote attacks, which are ultra rare, you know, and, they're just, they're not going to, unless they're rabid, which we know any rabid animal is, would attack a human or could attack a human because of, you know, the brain's not working right. But an average coyote is definitely not going to go anywhere near people. Yeah, Chris, we'll definitely touch on a little bit later, the human coyote conflict. And basically the best thing you can do is just be loud and scare them off with noise and they mm-hmm. will run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they're probably yeah. going to come back the next day if you don't get rid of your pet food or whatever's attracting or your garbage right. or whatever's attracting them to your property. But in general, loud noises, they're going to go the other way. They're not, they're right. not coming towards you. Yeah. It's, it, you got to make them scared of us more than anything than, mm-hmm. than shooting them because we'll find out when you shoot them, just another one comes in its place and they just keep coming. More actually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Now this is what led me down this path of, why this species is so incredibly interesting to learn about. When I went and started looking at their range to see where they are supposed to be, and usually I go and I get a historical map, and then I get a present day map. This, I think, is the first species that's not an invasive species, because I think the Burmese python in Florida is one that I can just come off the top of my head that is expanding. <laughs> yeah in the wrong part of the world. The tegu, the iguana. I could go on for days here (laughs) in Florida. Yes. (laughs) Tigers. Jeez. But this is the first species that I think I've come across where their, their range has, it's almost doubled since in the last hundred years because of human activity. Yeah. And under a century coyotes have conquered the North American continent. The species can now be found in every U.S. state except for Hawaii. And it can be found, of course, in, you know, in the woods, in the prairies, and in playgrounds or in Chicago alleys. It can be found in fenced backyards because we'll find out that they can jump like three to four meters. (laughs) You heard me, meters. That's insane. Yeah. But yeah, Chris, I was, my mind was just blown and it, it seemed almost like a good problem to have because I'm like, wow, we've never seen this before. 
But then I came an article talking about basically this canid collision. And this article in the journal Mammalogy, uh, published in December 2019, talks about the expanding coyote population and then from North America, and then the expanding crab-eating fox population from South America, and how they're starting to meet up in Panama. And basically, the coyotes are now on the doorstep of entering South America, which will bring them to an entirely new continent. Okay, that's not their historic range. The study found that they were observed in Panama's Darien National Park. And their ability to migrate this far south has to do a lot with uh, habitat destruction, right? Deforestation. So the researchers for this study were using camera traps and trying to see basically if the coyotes and these crab-eating foxes are cohabitating. And from what they can tell is they're not, like they think that they're staying in their own niches in Panama and that the crab-eating foxes haven't really gone any further north and that thus far the coyotes have not ventured further south. But it's the researchers that were like interviewed about this article were like, oh, it's only a matter of time. Like they'll be in South America, which initially I was like, wow, look at this coyote go. It's just can, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. It's, it's bouncing back. It's taking over North America. But further understanding, it's kind of a problem because they have not been found in Central America and they definitely have not been found in South America, which means they're an invasive species there. Right. right? And they're going right. to start taking out some of their smaller mammals and reptiles, which can throw the whole ecological food chain off kilt. That's true. It is. It is. And it's it's all what we believe is human activity because what was keeping coyotes really in check were wolves for a long time. Right. And for thousands of tens of thousands of years, millions of years, you know, you go back in some evolution, their ancestors, the competition between wolves and coyotes, where coyotes avoid wolves at all costs because wolves will kill them. Mm -hmm. And so because we've removed wolves from the ecosystem or drastically reduced wolf numbers, the coyotes have somewhat filled that niche. And we'll talk about that, you know, with some of the things they they prey on. But you've lost an important part of the ecosystem that kept them in check. And coyotes are so adaptable, so crafty. And because of so many people, they've learned to raid our garbage, not only, you know, attack household pets, but eat the pet food that's left outside. It's like a bonanza for them. It's an absolute bonanza for them. But... They, they do still play a critical role in the ecosystem. Like they oh. are a scavenger, rodent populations. I mean, they eat yeah. a lot of carrion. Yeah. Right. Where they're, yeah, Chris, where they're supposed to live in their, their historic range. And even probably as they've moved more to the woodlands in North America, they do a great job keeping rabbit and rodent, right? Mice problems, rat problems, those populations in check. Uh, They help control disease transmission. So they reduce the spread of any of these rodent-borne zoonotic diseases. Think of plague and things like that. As Chris mentioned, they're scavengers, so they clean up dead things. Nobody wants dead things around. And as far as their role in the food chain... Besides keeping rabbits and rodents in check and things like that, they also coexist with other species such as foxes and raccoons and skunks, and they kind of compete with them. And Chris, another really interesting thing I was reading about coyotes and why we should care about them is they help increase bird diversity and abundance. And how this happens is that Animals such as skunks, raccoons, and foxes, feral cats, things like that, those are known to raid birds, nests, and things like that, or consume birds. So coyotes will coexist with these species, and now coyotes aren't typically going to take down a skunk or raccoon or a fox or anything like that, but what they do is through uh, something called competitive exclusion, they basically like 
win the habitat or the niche. And so songbirds and other type of birds are going to increase when coyotes are around by basically shaking off or moving skunks and raccoons and foxes and things that will eat the birds out of the area. It's just when you look at it and and now understanding how this species has expanded by the removal of the top, one of the top predators in the Americas with wolves. And you start, you know, if anything with this podcast, which, which I really hope people that have listened to, to many of the episodes, they're just getting a global view of what's going on or out there. Oh, Chris, that's a really, really good point. Cause one article I was reading talked about how coyotes and how they live and adapt are a great example and can help researchers understand how other medium-sized or mid-sized predators respond when larger carnivores are wiped out, right? So wolves are being wiped out in North America. Coyotes are responding by, well, expansion, expansion, expansion. Uh, And this can help researchers understand what's going to happen in, let's say, South Africa when the hunting and killing of lions and leopards and those top predators decline, which they have, who's going to rise up? And so far, there's an explosion of olive baboons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And those olive baboons, there's so many of them competing for similar resources, their historic resources, which without, unless, since we haven't studied those guys yet, I don't right, know what right. they normally would eat. Yeah. But whatever they would have normally eaten, and it's too much competition for it. So now these olive baboons are preying on smaller primates and antelopes, making yeah. their numbers decrease. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you start getting the ecosystem out of whack. It just goes out of whack. Yeah. And there's it, it, it takes, you know, thousands and thousands of years for things to come back into balance. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's happen- happening so rapidly. And then here in North America, a 2010 study showed that coyotes are taking down caribou, which they mm. normally wouldn't, but there's a lot of coyotes. And so there's competition for these small rodents and other things they would normally eat. And so Chris, these woodland caribou, which their numbers are below 200. Uh, researchers think maybe 150 at this point in time. They're, you know, they're being preyed upon by coyotes, which typically coyotes wouldn't be there because there'd be mm. wolves. So it's just, it's, you know, it's really uh, throwing things out of whack and and hopefully, uh, we covered caribou many, many, mm-hmm. many pods ago, <laughs> probably Couple in the Christmases. Yeah. Yeah. Probably Christmas. yeah, yeah. around you know, pod 30, 40, 50, something like that. Uh, so we'll have to cover them again to see how they're doing. But so with these coyotes, it's just fascinating that they have such an important ecological role in habitats where they're supposed to be. But as they expand, it's they might be doing more damage than good. Yeah, it's getting concerning. And it's episode eight, Reindeer. Oh, <laughs> fact <laughs> check. Yes. Good job, Chris. Episode <laughs> way, eight. Okay. Oh, don't when. listen to that. I, yeah. I, I uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Those early ones are rough. Well, so it brings back just, just really quickly on wolves. And please listen to that interview. We, we talk about wolves and how wolves are doing. It's... You know, the gray wolf, which we did, I think it was episode 109, over 100 episodes ago. And we did an episode with Corbin Maxey, who we just had last week with Seaspiracy. And then uh, and then a few months back, we had Sierra Club briefly talking about wolves. The wolves are still struggling in the United States. And the population, you know, looking at the population map in the, the lower 48. So you have, you have, let's start with Canada. You have about 60,000 wolves, gray wolves in Canada. You have up to 11,000 wolves in Alaska. Okay, so in the great white north part of North America, there's they're doing fine. Or they're they're still lower than they should should be, but they're okay. It's the lower 48 states. So in Angie's old neck of the woods in Michigan, which is in the the Great Lakes, it's the north central part of the United States, there's about 4400 gray wolves. In the Rocky Mountains, so you're talking in the western part of the United States, you have about 2,500, and that's it in the lower 48. Well, the gray wolf was delisted by President Trump on January 4th of this year. 
So they lost all their their federal protection. And this was scientists saying they shouldn't be listed, businesses, hunting groups, you know, tons of people. There was like 1.8 million public comments against it. These people and groups did not want wolves to be delisted. They're not healthy populations yet, but they did lose their federal protection. So it's left up to regional states to dictate how those wolf populations are managed. Now, Martha did bring up a awesome YouTube video movie on how wolves change rivers. Angie and I have talked about this before. Anytime we talk about wolves, we talk about how they have such an impact on the ecosystem. And really quickly, what it was is when you take away that top predator, so larger herbivores like elk, which coyotes can't take down, proliferate, and they're devastating to plant life and trees like aspen is a big one. So in the Yellowstone project, what they did is when they reintroduced wolves, all of those trees, a lot of plant life came back. In turn, other species like beavers came back. We covered it in the beaver episode. And the ecosystem rehabilitated itself due to wolves because it wasn't that the wolves had killed all the elk. It's just they came in and started hunting the elk and the elk went back to higher altitudes in the mountains where they belong to avoid the wolves. And, you know, they went back to more natural behavior. So it, it's a it's a fascinating, I will link it in our show notes so you can watch watch it on YouTube. But again, that is how wolves change rivers. And we we talk about this a little bit with, with Martha. So really quickly, and, and I'm just going to give a brief highlight, and then we're going to talk about it in Thursday, is Idaho, which is one of the states in the United States, in the West, just passed a law because of very tiny special interests where they're going to go in and kill up 90% of their wolves. So right now there's about 1,550 wolves. And they want to kill 90% of that. They want to leave it between 100 and 150 wolves in the state. So that population of 2,500, that's going to be halved by the state of Idaho. And hunting groups have come out against it. A lot of other groups, even the their fish and wildlife came against it. They said, no, this isn't right. But it was a political decision by the governor and, and some special interest groups where they're going to go and just do wholesale slaughter on the wolves. And you can listen to the interview on Thursday. We go into more in depth. But, you know, some of the claims, they claim that wolves keep elk populations low because they hunt them. That is not true. Current elk populations in Idaho are almost at an all-time high. Livestock folks are complaining wolves kill livestock. They do. They killed about 102 uh, in 2019, sheep or cattle. But over 40,000 cows and sheep died that year by non-predator causes like disease, weather, uh, giving birth. So wolves only caused 0.003% of the deaths of the livestock suffered that year by those people. So it's just, it's a travesty. We go into it and, you know, I would say what you could do as a listener to help wolves the only thing that that can be done is President Biden, this current administration in the United States, needs to relist wolves in the Endangered Species Act, and that would help them. But that's kind of the brief synopsis, brief overview of what we talk about Thursday, because we go a little bit more in depth about it. Yeah, Chris, this is a really fascinating interview, and I hope our listeners will check it out and um, really start to... And really get passionate about this human-wolf conflict uh, that Chris and I want to keep sharing stories about because it really is, it's uh, they're in dire need of our help, that's for sure. And them being delisted is not a good idea. And uh, But it does beg the question is how do coyotes survive when wolves don't? How, I'm, they're both hunted. They're, I mean, they're, they're so I, it's just, that's, the researcher me that that's what I I was kind of going after this week looking for and there's several different reasons of course there's not one silver bullet but in general coyotes are just very flexible so they have a lot more varied diet 
than your average wolf. And as far as reproduction goes too, they also breed a lot quicker uh, as, as compared to wolves. And then their ability to urbanize is also really key. Uh, you're typically not going to see a wolf in, in Chicago or LA or, or wherever, but coyotes have just, they're able to thrive in big cities. Uh, and they're just not super selective. They'll, they'll, they'll birth their pups in a, in a ditch or, or an old pipe. And a 2016 study from Utah state university surveyed 105 urban areas in the U S and found 96 of these urban areas had coyote populations that were thriving. Mm -hmm. So they're able to live amongst us humans pretty well, uh, which is not necessarily a good thing, but it does uh, keep their numbers up. And then there's also been some genetic adaptations along the way. So Chris kind of highlighted this a little bit, but basically researchers have found that the Northeastern coyotes have genes from wolves in my old stomping grounds, uh, the Great Lakes region near Michigan and Minnesota and Wisconsin and all that. That And so they think that wolves and coyotes interbred back in the 1800s when wolf populations once again were all, like almost wiped out due to hunting, overhunting and things like that. And so the wolves, not able to find a mate, did some interbreeding with coyotes. Uh, but because of some of these genes, then the coyotes were bigger and stronger and I were able to push more into the Northeast. So, uh, yeah, just, just really fascinating things as far as their behavior, their diet, their reproduction. Uh, so once again, there's a lot of reasons, but overall they just have really, really outnumbered yeah. the wolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're so linked, these two species. And then just going into evolution, I mean, they're very closely related. So obviously they can interbreed and hybridize, mm -hmm. you know, in the family Canidae, that's 34 species in there. That's domestic dogs, wolves, coyotes, foxes, jackals, and dingoes. So we've, we've done canids. Now the genus was interesting with coyotes. It's canis. So mm -hmm. that is... The striped jackal, the golden jackal, the blackback jackal, the gray wolf, the Ethiopian wolf, and the coyote. You know, red wolf in there too, but it's, it's, um, they're all very closely related. And remember, we go back, domestic dogs are wolves. They're just domesticated. So Canis lupus is the wolf. Canis familiaris is domestic dogs. So you are living, sleeping next to a wolf every night, Angie. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> rainbow yes she is a wolf she is a wolf that looks in disguise you. yeah yes. yeah 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 and so the coyote closest relative is gray wolves and domestic dogs i mean they're they're that close now what's fascinating again about coyotes so the coyotes the coyote species name is canis lantrans there are 19 subspecies so like angie was pointing out you have that that northeastern coyote, uh, Canis lantrans thamnus, but you also have the Mexican coyote. I can't go through all these. Belize, Honduras, Durango coyote, Plains yeah, coyote, the southeastern coyote by me yeah. in Florida now, yeah. which I've seen a lot of, even in yeah. my neighborhood. Yeah, and California Valley coyote is pretty much what I had or have seen a ton of. So nineteen subspecies, and like Angie said, the ones in the north interbred with wolves so that's where they're they're bigger like we talked about in the beginning right but it should be noted that they can hybridize with dogs or mm -hmm. wolves but these hybrids are very unlikely to occur in the wild the genetics show that this was a long long time ago many many generations ago once again as coyotes were expanding and wolves were declining mm-hmm mm-hmm mm -hmm. Now, the canids, you know, coming into North America seven, eight million years ago. And then it was somewhere between four and a half, nine million years ago that wolves and foxes split off. Okay. And so then they, you know, they came over into the Americas. Then it was about 1.8 to 2 million years ago when coyotes split from wolves. So about 
that. Now, this is what I found fascinating too, Angie. This is why I get, you know, again, learning about a species. The modern coyote, what we see today, only emerged roughly around 11,000 years ago. Wow. Yeah. So different than the last couple of species we've covered, right? That have been around for millions and millions mm-hmm. and millions of years. So, you know, obviously there was there was coyotes, ancient species that are no longer existing. But at the end of the Ice Age, when we had that mini extinction event, when mammoths, saber-toothed cats, some of these other large predators, even cheetahs in North America, disappeared, then coyotes, kind of the modern coyotes, found their niche. So that's when wolves really, like the dire wolf went away, so gray wolves emerged. Mm-hmm. So the modern coyote has not been around that long, and it's still evolving. It's like it rapidly. We're seeing it, like you just talked about, in the last hundred years. You know, and they're about to jump into South America. So who knows what they're going to evolve into down there? It's crazy. It's crazy. Now, just some facts or statistics on coyotes, because I know we're going to get some fascinating behaviors. In the wild, like other carnivores, 10, 14 years, 15 years on average. Under human care, they can live up to 20, you know, like like almost like our domestic dogs. One thing I found fascinating was how fast they are. And you talked about how they could leap, but I don't know if you ran across it, but they can run almost 40 miles per hour. Or yes. 70 kilometers per hour. Yeah. That is that's, hauling. That's really, really, really fast. Mm-hmm. So I went and looked just for a fun fact. The world's fastest land mammals. Let's see if you can get the list. You know who number one is? Land, not air, land. Uh, cheetah. Yeah. About 75 miles per hour, 120 mm-hmm. kilometers per hour. All right. Who's two? Pronghorn antelope. Yeah. 55 or 88 kilometers per hour. And there, then that's it. My, okay, my but mom, there's a my tie. mom brain turned that. Okay, okay. Springbok, 55 miles per hour. Okay. Almost as fast as pronghorn. Mm-hmm. Come on, Angie, one of your favorites. A zebra? No, not a zebra, but close. Oh, they should be pretty fast. Um, you have one. <laughs> a horse. Quarter horse. Oh, yeah, quarter horse. Of course. Yeah, 55 miles per hour, 88 kilometers per hour. So they are corridor. I was like, oh my God, because they're sprinters, right? Yes. Well, that's how they got their name, that yeah. they are in, within horses. I guess I didn't realize how high, high they ranked up there with other land mammals. But mm-hmm. as far as horses go, they are the fastest breed of horse at a quarter of a mile. Yeah. So your Kentucky Derby winner, they a really fast quarter horse will beat that thoroughbred their Kentucky Derby winner for the first quarter of a mile and then at, die. Uh, at a sprint. <laughs> and then, and then they putter out. <laughs> yes. Can't, they, can't, they can't get very far. They can't keep up yet. So it's, it's fun. I actually, I watched the Kentucky Derby with my mom uh, a few weeks ago and we had a lot of, we had a lot of fun. Just, uh, I always like to le- learn about the horses mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Um, and my boys and my husband, you know, we have get into it and have fun. Yeah. And, uh, but, I told my mom that fact about quarter horses and she didn't know it. And I yeah, was like, yeah, wow, yeah. all go. these years I've been riding and loving them yeah. and all this and that. And uh, so she thought, she thought the fact was really cool. Yep. Yep. Okay. So then you have blue wildebeest, 50 miles per hour. Who's our oh, top predator besides yeah, cheetah? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that yeah. a blue wildebeest, uh, a lion. Yeah. Lion was next at 50 miles per hour. I guess I would have thought that either, but they only need to hunt once, right? And Mm -hmm. just be really, really quick, get their prey, and then they can sleep their other 23 and a half hours. Yeah. (laughs) Because whenever you're on safari, it's very rare to see those lions doing anything but sleeping. But sleeping. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. what carnivores do. They sleep. It's too much energy. Yeah. Now, talk about eating. I mean, this is, it's such a huge variety of things. I mean, they're carnivores, 90% of their diet. It's mammals, small mammals, you know, squirrels, mice, rats, rabbits. They will eat birds and insects, snakes, and other things, reptiles sometimes, but mainly small mammals. Like Angie said, they're starting to, to, to caribou, small deer. I think even in, in Florida, wasn't it key deer that, uh, you know, some of the smaller deer down there? Coyotes? I don't know if the if coyotes are on the keys. Uh, oh, Rainbow doesn't know either. Rainbow, uh, what do you oh, think? Yeah, but small deer. 
So they eat, they eat anything, but, but like you said earlier, they do eat carrion, which is very important, you know, again, mm-hmm. nature's cleanup crew. Yeah. Chris, of course they prefer fresh meat, but they'll, they'll eat carrion if it's around. And I was reading that they'll even eat fruits and vegetables, especially mm-hmm. in the fall and winter, if they're having a shortage of fresh meat to eat. Yeah. And that's, that's why they do so well in urban environments is because they do get into garbage. They do eat stuff that we leave out, you know, pet mm-hmm. food and stuff like that. Now, again, what, what preys on coyotes, it was wolves, mountain lions, bears sometimes will kill them. Golden eagles will take the young, but their number one uh, predator humans. Like I said, in the United States, they kill about half a million per year. Yeah. And of course, Chris, I had to dork out about hunting, right? Just because mm-hmm. I'm so fascinated by these intelligent carnivores and how they get their prey. And so with coyotes, they'll typically hunt alone uh, and sometimes in pairs. So when they're alone, a lot of time they'll do that really cute behavior where they're standing there and then they get all stiff and then they pounce on the prey. They jump up in the air and bam, hit the prey. So that type of hunting you'll see a lot when they're alone. But when they are hunting larger prey, like let's say a deer, the, they'll often hunt, and hunt with teamwork. And so one of the strategies they've used, which I remember we talked about this with um, wild dogs, is the coyotes will take turns pursuing the deer until they just wear it out, until it's tired and mm-hmm. like collapses basically. Yep, yep. The other thing they do, which is fascinating, and I don't know if we've come across this before, maybe in wolves, but um, coyotes can drive prey, herd it, if you will, for lack of better terms, and drive it towards other members of the pack that are like waiting for it. Mm-hmm. Ambush, yeah. Yeah. And then what was super fascinating, that I went down this huge rabbit hole, which was so fun. And like I said, I wish I had more time and I'm going to keep researching it in my own free time or not that I have a lot, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but coyotes will sometimes form these partnerships or bonds with badgers here in North America. So badgers, we have not covered them, um, but they are a smaller carnivore that lives in North America. And or I should say they're small to medium-sized carnivore. They're very cute. I love their mark markings. Yeah, yeah. We had honey badger, but yeah, the different, the different. Right. Badger, yeah, yeah. Yes. The North American um, that's one. That's from yeah. Africa. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and North America. So they're tough and stuff. But typically, uh, badgers are really good at digging in the ground and digging out rodents from their burrows. Uh, and so, but they're slow and they kind of waddle when they run, if you will. But there's been a fair amount of footage of a single coyote or sometimes even pairs of coyotes hanging around with a badger that's hunting and research. This is documented even in peer reviewed research and researchers say it like looks cooperative because what will happen is a badger will flush out either the rodents, uh, ground squirrels have been um, recorded or um, prairie dogs. They'll flush them out and then, and the coyote, of course, will will kill them. But they don't. The trick of it is, is their researchers are trying to decide if it's truly a mutualistic relationship, or if it's just like the coyote wins and gets all the food. And mm-hmm. uh, because badgers will typically, because researchers think that the badgers are getting some food, but they're eating it underground. So that we don't actually, I should, we, I'm not, it's cool research, but I'm not involved in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that uh, they're not seeing the badgers consume anything. So, but they think that they're getting something underground. But there's newer evidence that suggests that they'll do this and then the coyote will leave the area and the badger will follow after it. So if basically like, the coyote was just hanging out with a badger to get the goods. 
why is the badger following the coyote? He's probably angry. Hey, get my back of my meal. Yeah. <laughs> so they just, yeah. yeah, they don't, they don't know. But yeah, yeah but no. then maybe, Chris, we don't know. Don't so know, any of you know. budding yeah, researchers yeah. out there <laughs> want to figure this out for me because it's just super fascinating. Uh, it makes me want to cover the American badger here pretty soon. But then there's footage. I sent it to you um, mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. you and Chris yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I for it, our yeah. listeners, we always go back and forth all week long, dorking out like, hey, check this out. Hey, check that out. So, there's footage from a video camera, a hidden video camera in California. I think it's from a underpass, like wildlife pass through on yep, yep, um, yep. under traffic. And I'll tell you what, there's no food involved, anything like that. The coyote starts to go through it. He turns around. He does a little play maneuver with his, and a badger pops in on the screen and they kind of like, look like they're almost playing. The coyote turns around and goes through the, um, through the, traffic corridor uh and the badger follows it mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's, it is it's like they're buddies you know it's, it's like, like they're like buddies. friends yeah. like yeah, 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 yeah. like those disney movies right where yeah, yeah, yeah. you know most researchers know like those animals wouldn't normally be hanging out and talking to each other <laughs> yeah i know but so anyways the coyote badger thing was very very fascinating and um and yeah it's, uh you can find videos on youtube and it's it's it's, it's really cool yeah, we'll definitely link some of those in, in the show notes. I can't link mm-hmm. them all because there's so many of them. But yeah, some of the amazing ones. It, what other cool behaviors? I mean, I know what I found is their social structure. I found that that interesting because I would always see coyotes when I did see them, which wasn't very often. They're like again, they're very elusive. I'd hear them, but mm-hmm. you couldn't always see them. They were always by themselves. So I was coming in thinking, hmm, okay, they're kind of loners, or it's just a a male female pair bond it's not quite true right chris no coyotes in general are gregarious they're social animals now they are definitely not as likely to form such a strong big pack like a wolf but they have these highly organized social systems regardless of where they live even if they live in chicago or uh, on the the central plains Impacts usually consist of a dominant male and female pair that are the breeding pair, the only ones that breed, and then often a few relatives that will hang out with them. But Chris, you were not wrong to think that they live alone because about a third of coyotes studied, a third to a half, uh, depending on the region, are solitary animals. So this can be males or females that are usually young anywhere from six months to two, two years old that are living almost in limbo or like the lone wolf or the lone coyote uh, looking for either a mate or a pack that they can join up. But it is hard to know if you see one coyote, let's say that runs across a field. Uh, it's hard to know if that's a solitary one or right, one right. that's one that's in, yeah. in a social group, right. but definitely highly complex organized social system as far as their behaviors and their interactions and of course the rights to breeding. Well, yeah, I mean, they, like you said, even earlier, you know, ambush driving the prey towards the other members of the pack. So they do hunt in packs. Yes. It's just, Mm -hmm. it just depends. Yeah. Right. It just depends, but if they don't need to, they can hunt by themselves, yeah, right? They so can be versatile. solitary. So, yeah. uh, I mean, which is one of the reasons why they flourish. Where it's like just weird because with wolves, the solitary wolf has a real. It really struggles. It's like a solitary lion. It, it, these these predators that are used to being in, in complex social systems when they're by themselves, they don't do well and typically right. don't survive. Yeah. Where I think I remember, God, the male lion, average male lions live to be like two years old. Most of them die, you know, because they can't survive on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, right. where coyotes are like, woohoo, okay, whatever. Yeah. They're, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, yeah. And, and when we think of a coyote, they're typically nocturnal, but they're often seen during daylight hours if need be. You know, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. They can like, mm-hmm. they yeah. can have, they have flex time, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not good climbers, but they are good swimmers. Yeah. And coyotes usually live in burrows, and so they'll often either build this den from scratch, but they're also flexible, and they'll take another burrow from another from other animals like badgers. Like badgers, <laughs> poor badger. So, yeah, I know. Well, maybe badgers like you know you hang out with. I don't. I, I guess what is the badger getting out of it? I don't know. 
He does, I don't think he has a choice in this relationship. It's like, hey, buddy, I'm sleeping here. What are you going to do about it? Right, right. Yeah. But then he's like, but then they like follow them around. I, I don't know. Badgers, yeah, that's so interesting. We've got to cover <laughs> yeah. Badgers next, right? Yeah, we do. We uh, do. That's why this podcast never gets old. It's so fun. And of course, Chris, in regards to behavior, communication is just incredible, right? Mm-hmm. That vocalization we opened with is just beautiful, maybe a little scary, uh, depending on your association with it. But the coyote has three distinct calls, the howl that we heard, bark, or yips. And researchers have proposed that they have over 11 to 12 distinct noises that they make with these different types of calls in order to communicate. So they have howls for long distance. They have uh, whines and yelps for greetings. They have these barks, or some people call them yips, for uh, warning or alarming or agnostic. Hey, you get out of here, right, type of deal. Uh, And then researchers think that sometimes they'll howl to interact or announce territories to other coyotes in the neighborhood. And lastly, I think it's super precious. Sometimes coyotes will howl when they reunite with their pack. So I think that's really quite cute. But of course, coyotes communicate with scent. Uh, They have on the base of their tail, they're going to have a scent gland, which is used to let other coyotes know where they're at. And they may also urinate and defecate to mark their territory, right? Yeah, no, it's they're they're everywhere. They're everywhere. You know, they they were definitely a, a species that impacted my life. You know, a lot as as a young kid, just in good and positive, in many ways, <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> yeah, but I still love animals. I still love wildlife, so they didn't scare me off. That's right. You know, and I just I think of all of our listeners around the world. Like you know, it's like. Cause I had to deal with coyotes. I mean, I know there's listeners that have to deal with leopards, you know, and right. You know, our downloads, yeah. I, have to, well, I have to deal with lions. What are you <laughs> crying about? You know, <laughs> Tigers, you know, in some parts of the world that listen. So I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm just, you know, my little, little stories of my little coyotes in my backyard. Now breeding. Very interesting. Cause you, you're right. They do breed quickly. Yes, Chris. Uh, coyotes do breed quickly. It's a once a year event. So, the females experience what's known as monestrous, so just one mm-hmm. estrus cycle per year, which is different from a dog that will have two distinct, typically have two distinct estrus cycles per year. And so, depending on where coyotes are living, uh, the females are going to be in heat or have this experience this estrus, this receptive behavior, uh, between late January and early March. And the breeding once again is going to typically be dominated by the packs, alpha male and female for lack of better terms, or the, the dominant breeding pair. And Chris, what I found really interesting about male coyotes, and it makes sense, but they only produce sperm during this time of year. And so they have to gear up in their uh, spermatogenesis, so sperm mm-hmm. genesis, the creation of sperm that year is a two-month-long process. What? So they have to basically become fertile the same time that females do. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay, hold on. All right, all right. Pull, slam the brakes on this for a second. You're telling... I've never heard this. You're telling me... Here I am. I, I'm embarrassed. They don't produce sperm year-round all the time, 24-7? Chris, you're not alone. It blew my mind as well. Uh, and I had never heard the term a spermatogenesis. Of course, I had heard of spermatogenesis, right. but a means not. So not creating new sperm. And yes, there is a paper from 2008 in Thera Genealogy, which you and I have both been published in. Yeah. Um the paper is called Seasonal Variations in Serum Testosterone, Testicular Volume, and Semen Characteristics in the Coyote. And it details, it just follows them um, throughout the year, characterizing all this to blow our minds. And yes, in uh, May, June, July, August, September, and October, their sperm concentration is zero. I, was as I, is 
Thus is ejaculate vol- volume. Was I asleep in class that day when they went over this? I mean, I, I I'm a, okay. I'm just, truth, <laughs> truth be told, truth be told listeners. When I told Chris's fact, um, we went on a 20 minute pause so he could, <laughs> so he could fact check me. <laughs> Busted. I, uh, out of all the reproductive classes I've taken. I don't ever remember a mammalian species stopping completely, not slow down. I mean, we know there's seasonal variation in a lot of animals. We know, you know, certain males produce more sperm during certain times of year. Certain things affect it, diet, hormones. I, well, I was always, I'll I'll just go fall on my sword and say, at least I I was more female reproduction. That's where I studied for (laughs) 15 years. My PhD thesis, all that stuff. But Chris, That's what makes what makes you an amazing science scientist and researcher is that you did you fact checked your own po- podcast partner <laughs> for the past twenty you. minutes because he did not believe me, which is good. No. That that no, not believe, but it was just we we sat here and read the paper together, and so we I, it, it, if our listeners, this is what Chris and I do. We're that dorky, yes, uh, but we read the paper together, and we just want to make sure that our interpretation of it was correct. And we think it is. I mean, the only thing like, I mean, I'm still left wondering, okay, if for some reason there was a female in estrus in August, let's say, would, could the male not even breed her? Could he not be aroused? Could he, would he produce zero sperm? Uh, the way the paper reads is yeah. he wouldn't, he's a, he's experienced experiencing a spermatogenesis. so many questions but, that are but yes, beyond this I, podcast today that I'm going to be I know. Chris and I are going to go back to today. school. <laughs> I'm going to be like, what, you know, is it, is it day, night cycle? You know, well, because- and I will say that that's one thing researchers do not, well, at least yeah. this was in the female yeah. side, which that's you and I, of course, always relate a little bit more to female reproductive physiology because that was our area of expertise, at mm-hmm. least in, in, in ungulates. But uh, but yes, um, they don't know. They don't know. Wait, wait, if did, it's, I did. I did. They manatee. think photo. They think photo period for females. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, but they don't know. Males. But I mm-hmm. did manatees and, and elephant sperm studies and hyrex studies. I've never come across this ever. All that's right. why this podcast is. That's why we do this after three years, <laughs> right? It's blow, so interesting. Mind. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. That's amazing. But I think a lot. Of, I mean, obviously, a lot of there's still a lot of unanswered questions right yeah still the, yeah, the paper found it yeah i mean mm-hmm. not what yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna chase this down more so <laughs> this is gonna be a thing now the podcast <laughs> but when it is time uh for the male and female coyote to come together the courtship behaviors which may include grooming each other wrestling playing chasing each other um, bumping, hip pushing, sniffing, uh, they can last for a couple months. And typically a female coyote, she'll choose a partner, uh, and then they're going to be paired up for a number of years, but not necessarily for life. However, a coyote is strictly monogamous, whereas wolves are mostly monogamous, but there's the wolf will stray every now and then. So uh, once again, another behavioral difference between wolves and coyotes. And when the female coyote is pregnant, uh, her gestation is about 60 to 63 days. And during this pregnancy, Mr. Coyote, the male steps up. He will frequently hunt alone and bring back food for his impregnated female, which is very lovely. Uh, And then the litter size from coyotes can range from one to nineteen wow. pups. Wow, that's the, a lot. The average is six, but still, I'm like, boy, did my eyes get big when I read that nineteen number. <laughs> nineteen. And coyote pups are small, about 250 grams. Uh, they're blind, and their ears are not erect like the adult. But the eyes will begin to open after about day ten, and. Um, 20 to 28 days after birth, the the young will start leaving the den. Um, and usually by day 35 or 40, they're fully weaned. But during this time, both mom and dad coyote are excellent parents. They're going to bring food back to their young pups, um, especially after they're weaned. And they're also going to protect their offspring from predators. Now, coyote parents do an interesting bird-like behavior 
where they will regurgitate their food to the pups. Yeah, so, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Yum! Yeah, I yeah. was, I yeah, I was relating it to my own life, and I'm like, mm, this no. is not how I plan to start Maddox on salad no. foods. Nope, nope, <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Yeah, we'll be doing salad foods in the next couple of months, and I will be mashing it in a bowl. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Please don't. <laughs> uh, but with coyotes, sometimes uh, the pups or the juveniles they'll stay with a pack until adulthood. And during this time, it's really critical that they learn all these different hunting skills, uh, whether it's solitary hunting or group hunting, where they they're driving, uh, they're driving predators um, into an ambush situation, or whether they're out running, out tiring their prey. So it's a really important learning time. And as Chris mentioned early, coyotes grow pretty fast. So they're going to reach their adult size between nine and twelve months, and they are ready to breed. They're sexually mature by about twelve months. They just, yeah, they just keep coming. They just keep coming. And, you know, I didn't have time to to jump into it, but, you know, just to, to top off the, the repro side, besides that insane fact, now I'm never going to live that one down, but, you know, killing them, like we said earlier, as population control is proving to not work and they, they breed quicker when you remove one more come behind it and we really what they're advocating some of these other groups are advocating is is hazing and and making them scared to be around humans we kind of do it with bears too Mm -hmm. so i think that's something that needs to be addressed at some point because just wholesale slaughter of coyotes is is not an effective means of controlling them no it's really interesting and we can put the uh, humane society graphic up about coyote populations and how if you take away either the dominant male, the breeding male, the breeding female, one of them, that basically they'll just start breeding with younger animals that maybe they that would typically either be solitary coyotes. And, uh, and when this happens, instead of producing two, three, four, five pups, six pups in a litter, they start producing 10, 12, 15. Mm-hmm. They actually will produce more offspring. So, and I, of course, we don't understand the physiology or the science behind that. I mean, that to me is very fascinating. It led me to a lot of questions, but that's a different pod for a different day. Uh, But what science is showing that, yes, just it's, it's not uh, slaughtering them, killing them is not, is not helped. Yeah. And we're (laughs) Um, wolves. We're, we're wolves. It's devastating when we we kill wolves. It's totally different. The best thing you can do if you encounter a coyote or you have one coming into your backyard or something like that is you just yell, go away, coyote, go away, coyote. (laughs) And that's considered the hazing, right? So loud noises, yelling, noisemakers. Some people suggest using like a hose or a Mm -hmm. squirt gun, um, things like that. Uh, But just like whenever you're, that's the always advice when you're hiking in the woods, like you sing a song, the bears, right? Like so loud noises, like they don't, they don't want to be around that. Yeah. And, and, you know, like some of my conservation tips was, you know, my, my cousin lost a cat a few months ago from a coyote, you know, they suspect just to, I was, ah, I was uh, just going to no, ask suspect. for sure. Or they suspect, no, suspect because those are two yeah. different things. Yeah. Yeah. Suspect, you know, like we, I remember my cats, they'd go outside and then disappear and you'd be like, you've just figured a coyote got him. I think one of, one of my cats, I didn't have that many. But that's just, you know, a reminder, you know, keep your To pet keep indoors. your cats indoors. Yeah, I think that's indoors. what the reminder is. Yeah, right? exactly. Because cats are devastating. Cats are <laughs> devastating to wildlife. They kill more wildlife in the United States than anything else. You know, and then don't leave your pet food outside. You know, make sure your garbage is, is secure. You know, and never feed a coyote, like ever feed a coyote. Because that habituates them to humans and food. But... Any organizations? Well, Chris, I have two organizations I want to give a shout out to. The first one is called the Urban Coyote Research Project, and that's out of Cook County in Chicago, my old stomping grounds. This group out of Ohio State and with several other collaborators have been researching urban coyotes and studying their ecology and their behavior um, since 2010. So they have uh, over 400 coyotes radio collared in a variety of different habitats. Uh, and they basically work with learning more about how they move through the city, what they're doing, what they interact with, 
how much human coyote conflict is there really? And if so, what, like, what is it? Uh, because their whole goal is to try to understand more about coyotes so that they can coexist with people with the overall goal to reduce basically like the human coyote conflict and then also conflict with, let's say, pets and things like this. Uh, so they have a wonderful website that's really informative and they have grad students that are doing these really cool research projects, Chris, where I was wanting to go back in time and study more things in grad school. Uh, so you should check them out. They have a great website and they can be found at www urbancoyoteresearch.com and Chris will link them on our show notes. And then although coyotes don't necessarily need our quote unquote protection because they are of least concern by the IUCN, they do need a voice. And Chris and I are trying to do that in the podcast today is yes, coyotes are crafty and potentially having some negative effects on certain habitats. They do so many positive things for the ecosystem's that they historically um, inhabit. And so there's a group called Project Coyote, um, which actually works with not just coyotes, but Project Coyote wants to promote coexistence between people and native carnivores throughout North America using science, education, and advocacy. So they cover a lot of different species, of course, wolves and things like this. But as far as coyotes are concerned, Project Coyote has coyote-friendly communities. They help educate urban and rural people and give them the tools and the resources and the expertise they need to live peacefully with coyotes. And they can be found at projectcoyote.org. And Project Coyote also has a great presence on social media like Facebook. So definitely check them out um, because they do a lot of good, not only for coyote education uh, of the public, but also other species that we care a lot about as well. It's heartening that there's groups out there, you know, at least trying to make us coexist and funding research because, you know, they, they are here to stay. They are not going anywhere and they're just growing and expanding. So definitely learned a lot today with this species. It was more fascinating than I anticipated. I thought, oh, just another canid. They're always fun and mind blown. Thank you, Angie. <laughs> well, just yeah, I, like I said, Chris, I really I needed more time than a week with uh, coyotes. And I feel that often. But this one I, yeah, I really, really feel it there. Yeah. I, I had fun. Everything that I read was just, yeah. I'm just more impressed with them. And I will never think of Wiley Coyote or Crafty Coyote is the same. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, stay tuned. Stay tuned for Martha's interview on Thursday. Stay tuned for next week. Another great species. We have these interviews that we're going to be rolling out here of just... A true ultimate conservation heroes. I cannot wait to promote them. I cannot wait uh, to get those out on the air. So thank you for listening and take care. Thank you, everyone.